It is Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 339. Apparently, I'm doing it wrong. My name is Caleb Hegg. And there to are here to really point out where Caleb is doing, doing it, it wrong. wrong. Yes. I'm Rob Vanoff. <laughs> Dude, so the uh, first of all, I got to say hello to everyone in the chat room. It looks like we got a great crowd. Uh, hi to Paul and Clint in India. I'm pulling for you. They're on lockdown in Canada because they got exposed to the COVID. So did you say India? Oh, and India. Okay. Yeah. Clint and India. I thought you said in India. So I didn't, I wasn't thinking India as Clint you know, is not in I, India right now. Right, His wife's it, name okay. is India. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> I've had the, the honor and privilege to meet them both. I just, when you said lovely in people. India, it's what I thought I heard. Okay. Love, lovely, lovely people. Um, and Clint says lockdown sucks. Yeah, I can imagine. Anyway, uh, well, Rob is going through a little bit of his own crisis. Now, how's your house, man? Did you found more for those, for those who don't know, Rob has had some mold problems in his house. Tell us what, yeah, well, we've had, we've had some different health problems over the years that we didn't know. We, you know, and someone finally, uh, one of the physicians was like, you should check, you know, maybe your, your house, could there be some toxins in your environment? And nothing was visible, but it was the previous owners, there was water damage that they did not handle. So everybody. Water damage is the real deal. Water damage, you got to handle it right away. And they had basically it had been concealed. And so anyway, it's, it's just taken longer than we thought it would, but God is good. We're making progress. And uh, that's why my office for this last year has been makeshift really, because it's not, it's not finished. We have the bathroom, two bathrooms that are being worked on and other rooms, laundry room and another room. So anyway, it's just, it's just part of life dealing with this sort of stuff. Home ownership. Welcome. Welcome to home Caleb, Caleb's got other sorrows of home ownership that, that might not even pale with I mine. tell you what, man. I will tell you what. I'm reading this book. Or mine might not pale with yours. Uh, no, 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 no. Yours are doing just fine. I'm doing just fine compared to you, brother. <laughs> you're, way, you're way out there. We'll get I, it right here. I got this book that I've been reading, and I've tried reading it probably four or five times. And uh, it's by Spurgeon. Now, I, I, a full disclosure here. I named my second son after Spurgeon. His middle name is Spurgeon. So... I am a fan, okay? Uh, not not just a fan, I'm a huge fan. Uh, and there's this book, uh, On Prayer, by Spurgeon. Now, obviously, Spurgeon didn't write the book. He he gave the, uh, the he, he preached the messages at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Beautiful building, by the way. Um, I've never been there, but I hope to go someday, sometime. Anyway, Somebody compiled all of these, uh, all of these sermons into a book, and I got to say, it's probably one of the best books I've ever uh, read on on prayer. I've gotten about halfway through several times. I've never actually finished the entire book, and the reason why is because it's so heavy. What happens is I read like four or five books at a time, minimum usually, and so I'll get distracted reading other things. Then I'll come back to it, and it's so heavy. I'm like, I can't just start right in the middle again. I got to start over. And so I just start over. Anyway, he talks about prayer in in multiple different ways and um, praying the promises of God. I got to say, recently, it has revolutionized my life in prayer. And uh, one of the things that we've been trying to do, I think I've mentioned that I'm actually trying to build a barn on my on my property, on my home property. 
And uh, it's weird because the Lord has been very, very specific and clear in certain ways. Like, Are you to code it in pitch? In, yeah, within I, and without. Do, uh, well, you would not believe some of the uh, some. Of the, yeah, exactly right. You would, uh, you'd, here in Washington, that wouldn't surprise me if the Lord was. Yeah. Anyway, um, I gotta say though, it's like it's so clear and things open up so, you know, so obviously in one direction. It's like oh, okay, but it's like a rat maze because the Lord pushes us one way and then stops everything until we figure out the other way to like the specific way that He wants us to go. It's been like that the whole time. So this this process has been going on for two and a half months, and we're still we're still trying to figure it out. But hopefully, I think that the Lord is actually uh, bringing us to a place where maybe it won't be long, and I will be broadcasting from a new barn. Think of that. That will be sweet. That would be sweet. All right, and there'd be like a cow, <laughs> like a goat, chickens going in the background. I uh, know. <laughs> I live in the middle of Tacoma. <laughs> it's not that kind of a barn, brother. This is Caleb coming from the barn. <laughs> exactly. All right, enough, uh. of, enough of our home ownership woes. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. I just put up the uh, the winter producer credits. That's switching over probably today. By the end of the day, you should be able to go and get your spring producer credit if you would like to help produce this show. Uh, go to Tora Resource. By the end of the day, there will be a new cup up and all that kind of stuff. And uh, hopefully, so do it tomorrow. Let's just say do it tomorrow, okay? Uh, and we will have new producers, hopefully, by next week. Has uh, that new cup been designed? No, it has oh. not. Today. our I mean, Michael is on top of that kind of stuff. He's... he's He's, he's, it's cooking. We're not, yeah, we're it's, not. It's probably been cooking for a while and he's just got to put the final I'm, thing Yeah, out. I'm not worried about it. Um, okay. Uh, be a part of this conversation. 253-465-3205. 253-465-3205. Oh, I don't have my soundboard open. Hang on. We have a new sound on our soundboard. Now, here's the thing. The reason that this is so important right now is because one of our listeners actually put together, finally, a, a jingle for the uh for the phone number now here's the thing i want to we're not just going to choose this jingle and go with it in fact what i want to do is this is the gauntlet i want everybody to put together their own little jingle and let's see what comes up what we can get okay Uh, let's see here if i can find did i put it in i put it in here somewhere i just got to find it now um hmm. well i'll tell you what we have a new jingle but I want everyone to send in uh, their jingle, okay? And, and after, after we get a couple of submissions, we need a couple of them at least, we're going to compare submissions and then we'll choose one. So nice. Here's the are phone gonna, number. Are we going to do that we'll do it like live. in a show? So yeah, we'll, do it, in, we'll do it in a show. So if you're a oh, musician or if you are a musical person with a computer and you know how to do that kind of stuff, here's the phone number, 253. Hey, or if you are a singer and you just want to call our hotline and sing the and jingle. And sing it. Just sing it. There you go. <laughs> 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna give you, I'm going to give everyone, I'm not even going to play it. I'm going to give everyone a little bit of a uh, idea of what has happened so far. So far, we have somebody, I think it's, it's not a harp, but it sounds like a harp. <laughs> nice. It might be a lap harp or something. So it's a little bit slower. And so let's, you know, you, you, I want everyone to bring their own flavor. 
Sure. Let's yeah. see what we get. Let's see what we get. Okay, so uh, there's the gauntlet. Send them in. You can send them to chag uh, at torahresource.com, which is my email address, chag at torahresource.com. If they're too big of a file, you can Dropbox or OneDrive me at uh, that email address. Don't forget to go to torahresource.com. That is the, uh, the producer of this show, torahresource.com. And that is good. I, I'm just telling you guys that will lift my spirits. I mean, that will just lift Rob's spirits by Come making on. us yeah, a jingle. This is a campaign. This is a campaign campaign to lift Rob's spirits. There you go. Yeah. All right. Let's yeah. He's, he's dealing with mold in his house. He needs some jingles, guys. It's healing. You know, it's like it's it's just feeling the love. You know. Okay. Uh, we got some things to talk about today. We do have stuff to talk about. Believe it or not. Um, let's let's go first. We're, we'll answer this one, and actually, we have a phone co- uh, we have a phone call from our third host, Matt from Michigan, uh, right. that we're going to listen to. And Rob has not heard it yet, so it's it, he's going in fresh. <clears throat> but first, we're going to hit on Dorothy. Dorothy writes in. She says Leviticus twenty three. Now, okay, uh, there there is a uh, a sentence at the end of this that makes me that sounds a little bit harsh, but I think it's actually that, and I could be wrong on this. I don't. I certainly don't want to offend. But I don't think that uh, I think that maybe this is a language issue because I've heard these kind of comments before that um, that sound harsh. But come to find out, usually the people are using uh, English as a, as a second language. Um, oh, gotcha. Okay. So so uh, I could be wrong on that. But yeah, I'm just a precursor to what's coming. Leviticus 23 says the day of first fruits. Now, we talked about this what last week or the week before the day of first fruits when the high priest waves the sheaf barley before the Lord happens end quote, the morrow after the Sabbath. This presentation is very confusing. Please thoroughly research your subject. Thank you very much. So that please thoroughly research your subject, I think is actually, uh, I think it means like, please explain this. Um, here's the here's the problem with this. Leviticus 23 does not say the day of first fruits when the high priest waves the sheaf barley. That's not what it says. Now, that might be what your translation says, but that's not what the Hebrew says. It says, when you bring your first fruits, and the priest waves the barley sheaf. So ultimately, this is just a, a simple matter of translation. So it says, it doesn't say the day of first fruits when you bring, unless unless I read the wrong, pa- the wrong passage in there, <laughs> and Leviticus 23 actually talks about Pentecost or Shavuot. That is the only day that's called the day of first fruits. Right, and it's the only day called the Feast of Weeks. right. And it's called the Feast of Weeks in, in Numbers, I think, and in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. So, yeah. Matt from Michigan in the chat room says, uh, I don't even remember calling in recently. Yeah, you probably didn't. This is one of the things that happens. I have like a bunch of phone call-ins. And basically, when I have time, I clip them and try to get them down to like around a minute, under two minutes for sure. And then uh, they just kind of wait in a folder. And then I bring them out from time to time. So just because you called in and we haven't talked about it, no matter who the, who, who you are, uh, doesn't mean that we won't talk about it someday soon. Anyway, uh, f- final comment to Dorothy. Uh, simply to state that Leviticus 23 does not have the translation, the day of first fruits, when the high priest waves the sheaf of barley. It says, when you bring your first fruits. That's, that's how I read it in the Hebrew. And I actually did go look at it in the Hebrew to make sure that I was not mistaken. Okay, let's move on. Um, First, let's bring our photo of our third host, Matt from Michigan up. There he is. 
Um, and now let's go to his comment. I think I've mentioned before that I'm in the middle of a church hunt, and I think I've narrowed it down to one. So if you were to walk into a church on Sunday and you were wearing zeet zeet, I would have a feeling that a great overwhelming majority of churches would look at you very weirdly. They would also assume that you've got some things messed up in your doctrine and belief system, and they would either want to try to correct you on it, and they definitely wouldn't let you teach anybody and would think you were unqualified and that you would be considered a false teacher. They wouldn't want you to be considered one of them. In fact, there would be some that would say that you are denying grace. And I know my dad went to the same thing with the pastor. He still goes to the same church with the former pastor there. You know, they wouldn't let my dad uh, have any, uh, definitely not a deaconship role, let alone teach anybody just because uh, he's the weird guy that with all the Jewish ideas. Okay. Uh, great comment, Matt. Thank you very much. And I think that this will actually kind of frame some of our other our other uh, conversations. So um, what Matt has brought up is is something that I think is, uh, it hits at the core of a lot of the problems that I have with people in the Torah movement as a very broad brush stroke. And what I mean by that, I, now don't get me wrong, I, I would certainly consider myself part of the quote unquote Torah movement uh, if there is such a, a broad term. And I would even consider some of my uh, dearest brothers and sisters, people in the chat room, uh, not part of the, the he, uh, not the Hebrew roots movement, but the Torah movement in general. And, and there are people probably in our chat room that are, would consider themselves messianic, would consider themselves Hebrew roots, um, and so on and so forth. Okay, so with all of that said, one of the things that we get at the Torah Resource Office on a daily, and I do mean this literally on a daily basis, is people calling and saying, I can't find a congregation. Now, people have asked us to make a, a congregation finder, all sorts of stuff. The problem with that is, is that we don't want to promote congregations that um, believe in bloodline superiority, believe in rabbinic writings on par with the scriptures, deny the deity of Christ, uh, deny the Trinity. Uh, I mean, down the list of things that we are not wanting to, uh, that we would not support and would even deem heresy. Um, and because of that, we, it, it would be a full-time job. We would literally have to bring someone on staff to have a congregation finder to keep up on all that stuff. With that said, um, we get people every single day who call and say, I'm looking for a congregation in this area. Do you know of anyone? And one of the things that I hear almost every day is I don't go anywhere. I do not attend a congregation. Now there is nowhere in scripture that gives this scenario. Like if you're a believer, who's not part of a congregation that is outside the realm of biblical thought the Bible just assumes that if you're a believer, you're in a congregation. That's all there is to it. Um, so I have a real problem with the idea that, oh, I just can't find somewhere to go. And I've, I have received a ton of flack for this uh, because people say, oh, well, I'm not going to go somewhere that doesn't uphold Torah or believes the Sabbath is done away with or, you know, says that, you know, celebrates Christmas, but doesn't celebrate the biblical festivals, so on and so forth. And what Matt's comment here brings up is two major things, and then I'm going to throw it to you, Rob. First for me is that, yes, the, the community, the congregation, is, one of its functions is to build, up, to build us up, to build up believers. But that's done by other believers. 
I think that too often people think that community is for me, it's for me, it's for me. And it's not all about you. You are a, a piece of the body that is meant to go and be there for other people. Every time you don't go to a, to a community, you are denying people of what God might want to teach them through you or the encouragement God might want to give them through you or anything like that. So the idea that, uh, and, and kind of back to Matt's question, if, some, if somebody were to, if I were to go to a church, and we do this often, we go to a lot of different churches around Tacoma and visit, and I know a lot of good pastors and churches and honestly, I think that the relationship that I have with those people is good enough that if I needed to go to a congregation, I would find it. My wife and I have said often, if our church disbanded today, we would be at a different church on on the weekend because that's just where we're at. And um, yes, people would disagree with me and that would be fine. I don't go into a church thinking that I'm going to change everybody's mind or that I need to teach these people something. That's not the idea that I have. And I think that within the Torah movement, this is kind of what I've been getting at the whole time, is I think within the Torah movement, a lot of people think it's their job to go into the evangelical church and tell them, you're doing it wrong. You're not doing it right. You're doing it wrong. And this is how you should do it. And I have something to teach you. You need to listen to me. That's not the mentality that I think that believers should have when they go into a community. In fact, uh, even the idea that they wouldn't let me teach or wouldn't let me be a deacon, I wouldn't expect to be. And quite frankly, I have no problem with that. I would be a person who would sit in the pew and listen. And I would expect that God would have me there for a specific reason. Um, so so not, that, ne- not necessarily to become under their authority. So in other words, if I visit a different Sunday church or I have three and I kind of go to them, I'm kind of in a floating position. I'm not, I'm not being under any one of theirs authority or doctrinal, not signing on to any of their doctrinal statements or becoming a member. I mean, I, yeah, I, I have my ideas on that too. Um, I think, but, but one, one, if I make one go, point yeah. that Matt made, which I really appreciated was not the perspective of, I have something he did mention teaching, but, the the sense that I got from his message was, is like, how am I going to be received? Am I going to be judged and kind of marginalized? And then no one's even going to want to talk to me and I'm going to be labeled. And that that's wearing seat seat is a visible thing that will set you apart. And so there's a, there's a sense of putting yourself out there that I can, I, you know, I've experienced the same thing. So I, I can appreciate that feeling of like, am I going to be judged? Now, of course, ultimately we all have to like work through that and realize, you know what, because it doesn't matter. Right. (laughs) But I'm here, you know, Yeshua is my Lord and I'm just serving him. And so we have to learn to deal with like not worrying about how someone is, is judging, but the real thing that you feel is obviously I'm sticking out by what I'm wearing Sure. And obviously any of the people in this group that have read the Bible are going to have ideas. It's not like I'm just wearing a different colored hat than everybody. I'm wearing something that is actually based on a commandment that they are not observing that. And it would be similar to like, you know, people are eating, you know, ham or whatever, and you're not, you're not, you know, why aren't you eating any, you know, why aren't you eating that? And then it's like, then again, it's like you have to explain. And there's a sense of not, back to Matt's 
voicemail, not going in to try to change everybody, but just like, will they really consider me an equal or am I going to be less than or suspicious? And that's a real, that's a real space. I, I get it. So several things here on that. I, yeah, I mean, I'll give you one, uh, one time about two years ago. Uh, my wife and I went down to a wonderful church here in Tacoma, and uh, mm-hmm. we we visited just one time, and we knew people there. We actually we didn't know that we knew people there, but when we got there, we actually uh, we actually realized, oh yeah, like we knew we knew the greeter like well. We knew the greeter, not realizing that they had gone to the that they go to this church, and one of the elders, um, because there's multiple elder church, came and talked to me, and and he kind of looked at me. He saw my tzitzit. You know, I'm wearing tzitzit, and he saw my tzitzit, and he said, so, uh, and he asked me kind of about what, you know, so, some about my background. I said, yeah, my wife and I, we have a we have a website called Growing a Messiah. And he said, oh, that's kind of the Old Testament term. I said, uh, oh, Messiah? He said, yeah. I said, oh, yeah, I suppose, you know, that's used in the Old Testament in Christ, you know, because Hebrew and Greek or whatever. He said, why did you choose that? And I told him the truth. I said, because growing in Christ was taken. <laughs> um, but, you know, you could see his wheels turning like, why are you wearing tzitzit? So, there, yeah, there are, I'm sure that at some point I would have had that sit down talk of like, okay, t- tell me your theology kind of a thing if I would have kept going. Matt asks, he said, you wouldn't want to teach after 20 plus years of attending a place. Well, first of all, I, I mean, I don't think that every person is, um, is called to teach. In fact, I, for a very long time, said I didn't want to be a pastor or a leader at a church. Instead, what I wanted to do was write. If you look at people, I mean, they're really good scholars who go to my uncle's church in California. They don't want to teach. They don't want to be deacons. They don't want to lead in a church. Not everyone's called to, to do that. And um, I kind of got into that ki- kicking and screaming. The Lord drug me into that. Um, and now that I'm there, I see that the Lord has, you know, the Lord wants me there and, and I'm happy to be there. With that said, um, no, I don't necessarily think I'd want to uh, teach or be a deacon or something like that after 20 years of being in a church. And if I did, if I did, if I felt like the Lord was calling me to lead and teach, then and my theology was that different from the church where I was going, then I would start my own church. I would ask the Lord if he wanted me to start a, a study group. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is one of the reasons that there's not a lot of like, quote unquote, one Torah congregations, churches, messianic synagogues or whatever within cities is because people haven't started them. Um, You know, we have three in within probably five miles of each other here in Tacoma. And the reason why is because people have started groups. And my theology was different enough. However, I mean, and now this comes down to denominational understanding. Do you think that, you know, a church can just be started or do you need to be sent out? I was I was sent out by the congregation I was in. Um, and so that's, I don't think I would have done it otherwise because I didn't really want to do it. But the Lord was really obviously pushing us to do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think everybody's different. But I think one of the... Uh, reasons that you have people within the within the Torah movement, I'm using that as the broad catch-all for anyone who, you know, celebrates the festivals and the Sabbath and keeps a kosher diet. So Christians all the way to Messianic Jews, uh, pe- people in the Torah movement, they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to sit and listen to someone else. 
they want to tell everyone else around them. And once again, this is a very broad brush. There are certainly people who will sit and listen, obviously, but people tend to want to die on this hill. They want to go in and reform every single church. Reformation doesn't usually happen with Luther walking into the Diet of Worms and telling everybody that they are heretics for following the Pope. That's not how it works. Re- reform usually happens from love. In other words, if I am a if I'm a congregant, not a deacon, not an elder, who's not trying to tell everyone that they're they're uh, you know that God hates them because they eat pork, or that you know something like that, but I'm just a a loving Christian who literally wants to love everybody in the congregation and show them the love of Christ. I think that that speaks way more volumes than trying to beat everybody over the head with the Torah. You know, we call them Torah terrorists for a reason. It's like coming into reformed theology. <clears throat> it's like the cage stage, right? So, um, I think that everybody's different and I think that, uh, you're going to have to play that one. However you see, being played. I don't think that it's necessarily something that can just, you know, this is how you do it because every personality is different too. I think a lot of people think that because I, you know, because we talk on this show and we're very forceful about the theological ideas that we have. Well, it's a show that happens within an hour. We have to, there's no beating around the bush. Uh, in a personal situation, I'm not going to sit there and just beat people over the head with the Torah. Anything else on that before we move on? Uh, no, but I had to go back to our first topic. Okay, go was ahead. It, was it Dorothy, did you say? Yeah. I think she might have been talking about Leviticus 23.12. Yeah, actually, know. somebody else in the chat room says. Because it just... says, now on the day, that is vasitem uh, bayom. So, and you will, you will do on the day of when you raise up the Omer. So... And then there's this, the burnt offering. So maybe that's what she had in mind. Yeah, actually, so AC in the uh, chat room says Leviticus 23.9 um, and uh, Leviticus 29.14 speak of first fruits. 23.15 and 23.21 speak of feast of weeks. I believe they that they are separate, not the same. And first fruits comes the Sabbath after unleavened bread. That's not, but the Sabbath after unleavened bread is never called the first fruits. It says that we bring in the first fruits. That's the point, right? Yeah, it's it's not the Sabbath after unleavened bread. That that is an interpretation. There's no phrase the Sabbath after unleavened bread. Right. It's the morrow after the Sabbath. And the question is, what is this Sabbath? And the the Pharisaic tradition, be even before the Pharisaic tradition, we know from the Greek translation of the Torah is that that's the first day of uh it is the, the the day one of counting the omer is the second day of unleavened bread it's the 16th of nisan marking the 15th day as a sabbath so the 15th day the first day of unleavened bread is the sabbath the there are different calendars from the first century that relate that differently the jubilee calendar from the book of jubilees puts uh, the feast of uh, of weeks at the middle of the third month on the the moon, new or the full moon of the month, and so you count backwards, and they they have a certain way of doing that to arrive at that. They want to they have a fixed date right. for that, but um, 
the the people that called Shavuot Pentecost in Greek, they the reason they used Pentecost, the the, the they all agree that you count from the sixteenth right. of Nisan. They called it Pentecost to separate it from the people who are calling it uh, Shavuot because they started calling it oaths instead of Shavuot. Shavuot, we know that from the Book of Enoch and stuff like that. Right. They 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 started calling it Pentecost to clarify the count the way they counted the Omer. There's no place where they called it Pentecost where they're keeping it like a Sadducean calendar. So anyway. It, it's it's every year this comes up because we ha- we're, we get into the season of, of the spring feast and all these topics, the chronology of the resurrection, did Yeshua, was it a Passover meal or was it the breaking the fast of the firstborn? You know, this you have all sorts of doctrines and stories that float around that are influencing, you know, and people don't know which, what do I hold to here? So, but anyway... I just brought up Matt's picture again on accident. Sorry, everybody. Oh. Uh, but it just means that the Lord wanted somebody to see Matt's mug again. Um, okay, let's uh, let's move on. I got this e- email, and actually, so I only pulled the first two email or the first two messages. We went back and forth probably 20 times in the YouTube comments, and then we switched to email because I just it was getting a, a bit much. Carmen wrote in and said, Caleb, you observe Passover, but you do not celebrate the Lord's Supper, correct? If so, why? Now, I responded to this. I'll read you his response. And, I wish it, Carmen is a... Carmen is a... Know. Yes, Carmen is a both a man's name and a female's name. So I apologize if Carmen is a female and I'm calling Carmen a man. I apologize. Um, but I, I just... Yeah. Anyway. So... Um, I responded. I said, uh, I do observe the Lord's Supper. Now, first of all, here's something that we need to um, we need to just put out there. The term, the Lord's Supper, and Andrew McGowan, who is a leading scholar in uh, Greco-Roman meals and has written books on it, by the way, has argued um, very well by the way, that uh, the term, the Lord's Supper, was not actually attributed to the communion or to the Eucharist or whatever you want to say until the fourth century. So um, this term, Lord's Supper, I know what is meant by it, but just to say, this is a later term attached to the Eucharist. It's not an early term. I can tell that Rob is is in the chat room or something. What are you typing, Rob? I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm typing Mike an email. <laughs> <laughs> awesome that we're we're so focused on our topic today. No, go. You, you this is important, okay? Because he's. I, I can he's... tell how important it is to you. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, I'll keep going. Rob can finish his <laughs> his, uh, his email work here. Okay. 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 I done. Okay. <laughs> Mr. G, it's coming through. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> sorry, so, that's okay. Could so, you hear the clicking? Too? Yes, I could. And I could see your face. You see, this, <laughs> here's what people don't understand about Rob. When Rob starts reading stuff, this is what he does. <laughs> okay. I'm at the kitchen table. My wife's in the kitchen. <laughs> Honey, da, 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 da. Would you close your computer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know how people can tell? It's like, how long ago did you tune out? <laughs> She knows right away. Oh golly! Okay, so I gotta watch it. Back okay, to done. Ba- back Hands to Carmen. 
Back to Carmen's comment. The, the answer to this is, I believe that I celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm going to interpret this differently than the average uh, Christian in the church. I'm going to actually disagree with the Second Council of Nicaea on this. I believe that the uh, that the Lord's Supper, as we call it, as it is, is actually the Passover meal. Okay, so I believe that when he says, do this in remembrance of me, six verses earlier, he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Pascha with you. Now, here's another, and somebody wrote in and said this, and this is beautiful. The way that we know that he's actually, another way that we know that he's actually talking, that Christ is talking about the Passover here is in 1 Corinthians 5, 8. A lot of, he's talking about the Passover, about the Lord's Supper, right? The elements, he even, he even quotes Christ at the, you know, do this in remembrance of me. And he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, the feast, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is clear. He clearly thinks it's a Passover. Okay. So, I mean, my, I think that the evidence is pretty clear that um, when, when Yeshua institutes something, what he is actually instituting and the wording that he uses, do this. We are told in Exodus to do the Passover. You are to do the Passover, and we're supposed to do it in as a memorial, in remembrance, right, of the Exodus. And so what, what Yeshua does in this passage in, in Luke 22 is he says, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, so I, I, I think that I, as a believer, as a Christian, as whatever you term you want to put on me, I believe that I actually do celebrate the Lord's Supper. I do it every year, once a says, year. He says this, doesn't he? Paul says, and thus you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah. That's, so, uh, and and Kessler in the uh, in the chat room says, Caleb, can unbelievers eat the Lord's Supper? This is a, a, that's too big of a topic for a for right now. I think that we're gonna have to. I think you're not the only person. Somebody else wrote that wrote in on this. Actually, it might have been you, Lee. I forget. Anyway, we'll 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 deal with that at a different time. Good question. Um, save that for next year. Yeah, no. <laughs> Let me do okay. a little bit more study on that. Um, so, and it, there's. There's different uh, beliefs on this. Okay, so I do believe that I celebrate the Lord's Supper. I do believe that I I do believe that uh, Christ instituted something new, and that new that thing that is new is that the meaning of Passover switched from the Exodus from Egypt to and you know Christians notoriously use this word. Oh, you're you're celebrating the shadow. You're celebrating the shadow of something, and the and the the physical thing is Christ. <clears throat> okay, I, I, let's use that term. The shadow was Passover. It was the prophecy of, of what Christ would do. And the real thing is what Christ has instituted, which is celebrating the Passover in remembrance of what the Passover looked towards to. And so, yes, we do reference the shadow from time to time to show everyone how this was a prophecy of Christ. But ultimately, the, the Passover has been refocused on Yeshua and his death and resurrection and ascension. Okay, with that said, um, so basically I said to this person, Carmen, yeah, I celebrate the Lord's Supper. I do it at Passover. And he said, Caleb, no, you do not celebrate the Lord's Supper. Here's the problem. The Passover was part of the shadowy typological administration of the, here's the term, Old Covenant. Okay, let's stop for a few seconds. You know, I've mentioned this numerous times on this show, but I want to hash this out for just a few seconds. I want to hash it out with you, Rob. 
when people refer to the old covenant, now I finally got this person to admit what or to to break down what they meant. I said, "What do you mean by the old covenant?" Now let's let's just let's just hash this out for a second. When a person uses the term old covenant, are we talking about all of the covenants that are in the Old Testament? Are we talking about the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, and the Davidic covenant? And the Noahic covenant. In other words, can God now flood the entire earth? Because, in other words, when you say the old covenant, are you referring to the Old Testament? Can God now flood the entire earth again because that was part of the old covenant? Or are you referring to maybe the Mosaic covenant? And I think that a lot of people refer to, think that this means the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, if we're going to talk about the Mosaic Covenant, then does that mean that, that you know, and I asked basically, well, you know, what do you mean by, and they said, oh, this person said, well, you know, the, the Sabbath wasn't reinstated in the New Testament. Well, neither was bestiality. Neither was cross-dressing. Okay, so you can't just take a blanket term like the Mosaic Covenant is done away with, like that's a shadow, because there's plenty of things, in the, and the response that's going to come is, oh, well, the uh, ceremonial laws are what have been done away with. So then, okay, now let's stop. So the Old Covenant is not the Mosaic Covenant. The, Mos- the Old Covenant is just the ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic Covenant. Is that correct? And if you look at my father's work on this, he goes through multiple, multiple commandments that show that many of the things that people say are ceremonial commandments are actually in the category of moral. The Sabbath is a perfect example of this. The Sabbath brings the death penalty. Death penalty is reserved for moral law, not for ceremonial law, right? And everyone else in well, the chat. Well, but obviously the moral and ceremonial are, are different. I mean, you could say, because someone could say there's death penalty for breaking ceremonial law. If 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 a Israelite who's not a priest or a Levite tries to run do a run on the on the the courtyard or into the holy place, they're going to spear you down. They're not going to sure. they're not going to um, or sword you down. You're dead. You're done. And this brings up a You're, great. This grip brings up a great uh, and even no better trial. Point. Yeah, this brings up an even <laughs> even better point, which is, aren't any isn't any transgression against God's law moral transgression? Right. So, so technically speaking, and by the way, I've asked a lot of scholars this, and this is when I was interviewing scholars back when we had Torah Resource Radio, I asked every scholar at the beginning, do you believe, and I had like five questions I asked every scholar just to kind of see where they were on different topics. And one of the questions that I'd ask is, do you think that the Torah can be broken up into c- civil, ceremonial, and moral? Almost all of them. I think nine out of 10 said, no, those, those categories don't work. Now, why there are later categories we're trying to impose on yeah, exactly. the text. Yeah. And so when you get people like Jeff Durbin or other people who have said, you know, they basically, the guys over at Apologia Radio openly said, oh, well, as soon as he said that uh, there there's no such thing as moral, ceremonial, and civil laws, I turned it off. In other words, these guys aren't even willing to listen to the argument. That just shows that a lot of Christians are not willing to actually look at the Torah, the Bible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are um, we text-based or not? Are we, are, you know, Yeshua sent yeah, exactly. his, he trained his disciples. They wrote the gospels and the epistles. He, the book of revelation, it says that is it a special gift, right? That God gave 
you know, and so, and it says, blessed if you read and hear, right? It's, we're supposed to be readers and we're supposed to take the text very, very, that it's very special, that it's sacred and it, and we have to give it caring attention and, and, and realize that it's, it's other, it's different than our normal thinking, you know, and, and people, so they'll read one verse and they want to run and fill in the blanks with their imagination. And scripture doesn't let us do that. If we're, if we're, if we have a concept of Canon of the sacred text, we have to take every thought captive to Messiah. We have to bring every thought of an interpretation and we have to compare scripture with scripture. We have to, we have to be immersed in the word of God that he gave us, uh, it's for our good, you know, it's for our development. It's for our instruction in righteousness, right? The workmen of God be fully equipped as we read in, in Paul. So, but these days, you know, it's easier to watch a movie about the Bible. It's easier to watch, you know, someone called and told me they were excited, you know, Mel Gibson's producing a, a, a part two to the passion. And I'm like, okay, you know, and the passion brought in a million or a billion dollars. And it's like, okay. And I, I'll go, I'll see it, you know, but I'll tell you what, it's not the text. It's right. not the text. And, and, and I think there's a danger in our, I'm, I know I'm rabbit trailing here, but in our culture of visual, I like a good movie as anybody else. I like special effects like anybody else. I like cool sound soundtracks. I like cool. You know, I watched that. We watched the uh, Tom Hanks one about the, it's called the Greyhound. He's a believer. You know, he's a, I think he's Catholic, but he, he has to lead this, this, uh, caravan of warships in early December of 42 across the Atlantic where there's Nazi U-boats. It's a powerful movie. It's the special effects are amazing. But when it comes to scripture, the scripture is, there's no movies ever going to. Exactly. Going to, going to come close to the scripture and we can't let movies. I've talked to people who've watched like, especially during Passover time, the 10 commandments or the Prince of Egypt, and they start quoting the movie as if it was like they're they're using the movie to think theologically. Uh, here's the have fun- you ever had that? Have you ever had those conversations? Here's the thing that I found really interesting is when people say, like, no, that's not the text, dude. When people uh, quote the the uh, synagogue prayer book. That's not scripture as scripture. I've had people do that to me, you know, well, the scripture says and then they'll quote something that's not in the scriptures, but is in the Orthodox prayer book. And it's like, mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. No, we need to pull out the, pull out the scrolls again. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's a, so, so anyway, I like a good movie like everybody else, I've, but hang on. We got re- it's different than, than the scriptures. Uh, Lee Kessler has given us a super chat as he does often. If you would like to be mentioned or choose a, a sound clip from our soundboard, then you too can super chat us. Lee, thank you very much for the You know, we chat. could. T- You've been blessed. If anybody who's who's musically inclined or melodically gifted, we could have a maybe a a, a super chat little uh, jingle, a jingle also. Let's let's work on the let's work on the uh, on the phone number first. <laughs> let's get the phone number first, and then we'll do a okay, super okay, chat. Okay, fine. All right, fine. <laughs> Where were we? Oh, uh, yes, we were in the middle of this conversation about the old covenant. So all yeah, of this yeah. to say, you, well, the big co- the big thing is, Caleb, you don't keep the Lord's Supper. 
Right. But ultimately, what I want to say to people is if you're going to use the term old covenant, you need to be very specific with me about what you're going to say, what you're talking about. Or I'm going to stop and have this conversation again about the fact that people cannot use this term old covenant unless you actually uh, define your term. Define the term of what the old covenant is. Now, this person just said it was the Mosaic covenant. So I suppose that they believe that uh, cross-dressing is totally fine, bestiality is totally fine, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. And and, and also, I, I do want to say this. He says, the Passover was part of the shadowy, typological administration of the Old Covenant. Well, so is marriage. Marriage is a shadow of what Christ is get, of Christ's relationship with the church. So I assume that this person now is doesn't believe that marriage is is good because that is a shadowy uh, representation of something that has been fulfilled in the cross, right? The idea that we don't that we don't uh, do things that point to something else is absolutely ridiculous. It, it, nowhere in Scripture does it say that you're not supposed to uh, do things that point to something else. This is a completely mad argument. Anyway, okay, uh, they go on. The function of the Passover was to point to the final perfect spotless Paschal Lamb, the Lord Jesus. Absolutely agree, 100%. The New Covenant sacrament, what is the New Covenant, by the way? The Torah being written on the heart. Those laws aren't done away with. The Torah is simply uh, written on the heart. And who's it made with? Israel. The New Covenant sacrament is the realization of Christ's death, the Lord's Supper. Absolutely agree. Redemptive history has moved on from promise to fulfillment. Agree again. The Passover was appropriate for the types and shadows, but the reality has come. Caleb, you are not celebrating the Lord's Supper. Now, this comes back to our conversation about tradition. The reason why is because... This person, Carmen, believes I am not celebrating the Lord's Supper. And is that because I am doing it differently? In other words, is Carmen celebrating the Lord's Supper every maybe Sunday? Okay. Well, what about the people who are only doing it once a month? For instance, there's a church that I go to on a, on a semi-regular basis here in, in Tacoma, and they celebrate the Lord's Supper once a month. Are they doing it wrong? Do they not celebrate the Lord's Supper because uh, they're not doing it the way that Carmen might do it? Or is that acceptable? Okay. Um, now the other question that I would have is, if I do it once a year instead of once a month, am I doing it wrong? You know, Remember that uh, before the 1200s when the, when the Pope instituted that uh, Christians had to take the Lord's Supper once a year. It was because uh, the believers thought that the Lord's Supper was too holy and that only the clergy should take it. And so be, are you telling me that people before 1200 were not uh, saved because what? And and does the Lord's Supper save you? Okay, uh, then we get into uh, some other issues. For instance, Andrew McGowan in his book, Ascetic Eucharist, talks about the fact that up until the 4th century, all the Christian communities celebrated the Lord's Supper as a meal and not as the elements. Some of them switched to water and bread. Some of them switched to water and cheese, believe it or not, dairy products. Um, and so the question is, were the Christians, including the apostles, up before the 4th century, were they not celebrating the Lord's Supper the way that Carmen wants them to celebrate it? And therefore, were they doing it wrong. And if the answer to any of those is yes, 
then what's the difference with me? I celebrate it as a meal and I celebrate it once a year. How is that not the Lord's Supper? And what it sounds like to me is that Carmen has taken a man-made notion, this man-made construct of what the Lord's Supper is and, sa- and is pointing at other Christians and saying, you're doing it wrong. Now, I don't find that in Scripture. Show me. Show me in Scripture. I'll wait. Yeah, it's it's weird that yeah, it's weird that someone says you're I mean, that's yeah, I mean that's a big claim for someone you don't know to just come up and say you are not you're not you're well, that's why you named this episode what you called it. You're doing it wrong. Well, the okay. uh, yeah, the other thing is is that at one point they said you know, where's Christ? You're in your celebration, where's Christ? And this shows that the person has no clue of our services or or what we point to. Or the fact that you read through the, the gospel narrative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, so, and Matt says do? it depends on what cheese. Monterey Jack? No. Sharp cheddar? Maybe. <laughs> Swiss? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, once again, and, and, and here's the thing is that we, we've beat up the messianic, uh, the messianic quote unquote, uh, movement in the past, a few, uh, episodes in terms of talking about, are you putting tradition on the same plane as scripture? Well, obviously this is not just holding to messianic Judaism. This goes back to, I mean, this person is a reformed evangelical Christian, and it seems to me that this person is putting their own tradition, their own understanding, their own interpretation, their her- hermeneutical tradition on plane with the words of scripture. So it goes both ways. It's not just it's not just messianic Judaism. We see this in the evangelical church as well. And of course, if we go into the Catholic Church, obviously the Catholic Church has done this to the nth degree, right? You're not saved if you don't if you don't get baptized and and uh, take the Eucharist, and you're not saved if you're not part of the Catholic Church. So now we're taking now we are taking tradition to a you're not saved if you don't keep my tradition. Now Carmen hasn't gone this far, but it sure but it seems- is. But it reminds me of the Colossians too. Let therefore no one judge you in right. regard to a Sabbath. That sounds like Carmen's judging you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, at, at least in the the way I hear it. Yeah, that. And, and isn't that the interesting thing is that uh, is that many Christians who want to hold to the standard view that the Torah is done away with, or at least the Sabbath and the festivals, they're going to look at they're going to point the finger at people like Messianics, maybe even the Hebrew Rooters, or you know people like myself who I I consider myself a Christian uh, who keep the festivals, and they're going to say, you, "No, you're not allowed to do that." Well, isn't that judging me in matters of Exactly what Rob said. That's judging me in matters of of Sabbaths, right? And new moons. So how does that work out? That scripture is right. It's like you should just quote it back to him, say, you know, it says, don't let anyone judge you. But they're trying to, when when a person leverages some sort of, uh, I don't know what, something they haven't even researched, yeah, over you, and, and says that, well, you're not even observing you know i it's it's tough my know, father who know. my father who has held to reform theology since he was born and grew up in a very baptist reformed uh congregation you know his entire family baptist reformed my my dad i was reading some of these emails you know in the office and my my dad said 
I don't know where this person's getting their information, but I know a lot of reform people and they've never, they don't hold to this. They don't believe this. You know, they don't believe what this person is putting out. So I, hmm. I think that there is, I mean, I think, yes, there is the idea that, okay, you know, certain things are part of the old covenant, quote unquote, old covenant, however people want to define, define that and that we don't need to do that anymore. Certainly that's the case. But once again, going back to uh, Matt's comment, you know, when I go to certain churches here in Tacoma, people know that I'm going to show up with, with Zit Zit on. I usually wear a suit jacket so you can just barely see him hanging out the bottom. Um, but I'm not sitting there, you know, trying to tell people, oh, yeah, you guys are yeah, you're, you're not the there to day. display. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, this kind of I mean, and and because of that, the pastors know I'm not sitting there trying to bring people. I'm not on a fishing exposition to get people to my congregation. That is not my, that's not what I'm, you know, I think that if people are happy and, and praising the Lord and serving the Lord and glorifying Christ to the best of their ability in the congregation that they're at, God bless them. I'm not trying, you know, I don't think that I'm, you know, better than their pastors because I'm not. I might disagree with their pastors on certain things, but ultimately I know some of the pastors here in Tacoma are men who have dedicated their lives uh, and, and done extremely good work. Uh, in in glorifying God in a place that is dark, Washington State, Tacoma, Seattle, Washington, we are in a dark, dark place. You know, Tacoma was rated the the most friendly LGBTQ co- uh, community in the nation a couple years ago. Wow, I didn't know that. So, so I mean, we are. And my dad constantly calls it the left coast. Uh, you know, we are in a very dark place and you got guys that are shining bright here and it's, it's a hard thing to do. So, all right. Uh, should we, should we do another, another one? We, we got five minutes. Sure. Okay. This one's going to be, a, we've talked about this many times. We're going to talk about it again. Slap Lintern writes in says, Hey guys, are Strong's numbers slash words not good? Now, this comes from our conversation last time when we kind of bashed the idea of, you know, people sending us email. And I shouldn't say bashed. I don't want people to feel like they can't send us emails. But uh, I get very confused when people send me a bunch of numbers. If you look up 16789 as opposed to 92354 and then put it against 82536, you know, we understand. And I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about at this point. And I'm not going to, I don't know, I don't use Strong numbers that way. So I'm not going to go in and try to figure it out. Anyway, um, so this person says, I can't afford the one Hebrew and Greek lexicon you guys recommend, so I use Thayer's and Strong's. Now, there's not specific. The reason that we like BDAG and Halote is because those are the standards within within um, scholarship. But there are some really good lexicons that you can get for 15, 20 bucks, 30 bucks. Um, and, and they're not going to be as big, but uh, they are certainly good. And, you know, extensive as well. Anyway, so far they seem sound to, to me, but is there something I'm missing? When I study, I try to understand the word, uh, the word meaning, so I check both Thayer's and Strong's dictionaries. Are, there, are these no good? Thanks for the help. Okay, hang on. I want to I wanna focus on this very last thing, Thayer's and Strong's dictionaries. And this is where the confusion comes in, and this is what I don't like. Is Strong's a bad uh, tool? No. Strong's is not a bad tool if you're going to use it the way it was intended to be used. Right. It's like a hammer. Yeah, exactly. Don't but, don't try to flip a pancake with it, and you're not going to be able to, you know, drill holes with it. Right. And and uh, this person is doing something that's actually very good. They're, they're comparing. Strong's is not a dictionary, though. 
we call a theological dictionary a lexicon. Strong's is not a lexicon. Strong's is a concordance. And a concordance is different than a dictionary. It's different than a, a lexicon. How are they different? Well, we've talked about this before, but I'll go over again quickly. Basically, what Strong's did was he went into the King James Version Bible first. He didn't go to the, the Hebrew and the Greek scriptures. He went to the King James Version Bible first. He looked at the word in English. And then what he did was all he did was catalog how the KJV translators, what word they translated into that English word. He's not giving you a meaning of that word. He's not saying this is how this word should be translated. All he's doing is, is showing you what word the KJV translators uh, translated into this English word. Now, that's different. It might not sound that much different, but it's a lot different than when a person goes to a, a the, the language, the Hebrew language, looks at a word and says, this is how it's used throughout all of the ancient Near East, whether it's biblical or not. And these are the meanings that this word can have. That's different. So um, if you are going into, now Strong's has been uh, expanded to do other um, yeah, a lexicon versions. does not reference the King James Bible. Right. It's, exactly. It's, it, that would be, there's no reason to, or any English translation, uh, really, ideally, right? A, the ideal lexicon references all the ancient sources that attest to the use of this particular word. Now, the Strong's numbers have actually been expanded to, I think the NIV has Strong's, I think ESV actually has Strong's. So so let me tell you how I use Strong's, because I actually do use Strong's numbers. I do. And this is how I use Strong's numbers. I don't use the numbers themselves. In, in, a, uh, in a Bible software, one of the great functions that a Bible software has is they basically do Strong's numbers for you. What you can do is you can hover over a word in your in your software, and down below, in, in accordance, it's called instant details, it's going to show you what Greek or Hebrew word is actually being translated. Now, now, the nice thing is, is that it'll actually highlight that Greek or Hebrew word in your parallel pane on the other side, which is great, because then I can see what word it is, I can go over, and now I can... Look that word up in a lexicon if I need to. That's how I use Strong's, is I just simply see what word it is so that I can actually then go and research that word more. But in terms of trying to say, okay, well, the KJV has translated this word this way, therefore it must mean this word. In other words, trying to use it as a lexicon is not going to be helpful all the time. Sometimes it might actually work. You might actually find a good, I mean, there are plenty of times where you're going to find a Strong's number uh, in the text, and and it's going to be it's going to be translated correctly. The KJV did a, a very good job for what they had. There's, I mean, we shouldn't put down the KJV um, for what it was at the time. It was unbelievable, and so yeah, I mean, you're going to find a lot of uh, Strong's numbers in certain places that are translated correctly, and you might be able to pull meaning from those and say, see, look, it means this. But you are going to make mistakes if you do that all over the place. If you constantly use Strong's numbers as a lexicon, you're going to make mistakes. And that's going to bring very big confusion. I hope that that answers the question. And also, I do want to say this about Strong's numbers. We shouldn't down Strong's for what it is. The amount of work that Strong did to uh, put together this concordance, it's it's an amazing feat. Um, and so there, there's the work itself is is a, a, a it's an achievement. It's a great achievement for what it is. 
the only problem that I have with Strong's is it, I don't even mind that people use Strong's and then send me numbers. If you're going to send me numbers, you got to send the actual, you got to copy and paste the Hebrew or the Greek with it. Because I don't care about those numbers. Those numbers mean pretty much nothing to me because I don't use Strong's like that. Um, and that And that might be on me. I mean, that might, you know, maybe I need to be a little bit more um, flexible for people who are using Strong's. So that could totally be on me. Okay. Um, anything else, Rob? I feel like I've talked a lot today. That's usually the case. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Sir. No, it's good. We're good. I, I, I think we had a lot of good uh, discussion today. We'll use Strong's as it is intended. And all you have to do is read the intro page. Like you open it up and there's a little paragraph. What is, what is this concordance all about? Right. And just use it accordingly and, and, and you'll be fine. Um, I think the danger is if you don't use it properly, people, people start to think they're actually learning something about the Hebrew language or the Greek language or Aramaic. And the dangers there. no, the way to do that is to, is to enroll at Torah resource Institute, and take, join Andre's Hebrew class. It's beginning right. uh, this next week, or Greek, and and get put yourself in the hot seat and and actually get that. You gotta gotta jump in the water, you know, and and feel the water firsthand, and get a sense of it. Then then uh, you'll get a sense of the basic skills required. Then you'll be able to go back and actually make better use of tools such as. Thayer's lexicon or Strong's concordance, because if you start looking at a lexicon, but you haven't taken any of the grammar, you, there's going to be a bunch of terminology in the lexicon that's just going to you, you're not going to know what to do with. You're, you're not going to know well, how to make sense of it. Yeah, I, and actually, that's probably one of the the you know I've said many times on this show that I I've taken Hebrew, I've taken Greek. I'm not good with languages. I've never been good with languages. I, I, I don't know if it's a learning disability or what. I, I've just had a very, very difficult time with languages. With that said, taking the languages has really helped me to be able to identify things and then also to use lexicons, to be able to look at lexicons and know what they're talking about. I might not be able to sit down, pull open a Greek text and just read out of the Greek text and, and translate on the fly. I can kind of do that with Hebrew, but uh, Greek is a little bit harder for me, but at least I can look in the lexicons. I, I have a basic understanding of the language and I know some of the vocabulary so I can stumble through and the words I don't know, I can then look up in the lexicon. Uh, so it, it has been, uh, you know, taking taking those languages, even if you're not good with languages, it, it helps. It does. All right. Um, so we're going to be back next week, but then the week after that, I will be traveling. And I don't know if Rob knows that or not, but I will not be around. And so we're taking that week off. So okay. come back next week. Look in the uh, look on Torah Resource maybe tomorrow for the spring producer's credit. We should have a new cup up. And uh, yeah, we always love everyone who becomes a, uh, a producer, executive producer. If you don't want to do that, you can support the show for as little five as five dollars a month as Little as the cost of a mocha from Starbucks each month, you can support this show. And if you don't even want to do that, you can still support us by subscribing to this YouTube channel if you're listening to this on YouTube or if you're um, doing it on podcast or whatever. Subscribe to whatever platform you are comfortable with uh, listening and or watching the show. And we would certainly 
Appreciate it. All right, everybody. Uh, I suppose we should tell you to send your emails to chagatorresource.com. Send in your uh, your uh, audio submissions for our phone number jingle. We cannot wait to hear those. That's going to be fun. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.